Welcome back to Legal Roundtable. All right, great input on the last story, guys. We are on policeone.com now. And David, thanks for helping me out on that last one. Appreciate that, the last 15 seconds. Now, in this video, Atlanta police use a drone to arrest a suspect in an actor's shooting death. Um, it's just kind of unusual. Um, and I'm kind of curious if you guys think this is effective. Are we going to start seeing more videos like this? Um, and, and Brett, talking about, you know, we just got together on Saturday, a number of the people on the panel uh, were there uh, for our Deadly Force Scenario training videos that we make every uh, two years. So Brett and I uh, film, produce them. And I know that, uh, you know, John Newman was there. Um, Cody actually was just in, in Florida uh, a week ago, so she just missed it. But we had Andrew Casal and a uh, number Ward was there, a number of other people. Um, so it was a... Uh, it was an interesting um, compliance issue as well. But in this one, videos released by the Atlanta Police Department. It shows the moments running and arrest and the shooting death of actor Thomas Jefferson Bird. Now, according to WXIA, the actor who starred in multiple Spike Lee films was found dead. And this is October the 3rd. Antonio Demetrius Rines, 30 years old, was arrested for felony murder. On, and it says the Atlanta police shared a video of the arrest on Twitter. And it says APD homicide detectives use drone technology to arrest the suspect. Uh, it has muted video, but it shows the door of the suspect's apartment uh, is breached before officers navigate the drone inside. And upon seeing the drone, our bad guy comes out with his hands up, walks outside the apartment. And in a press briefing, a police spokesperson said that drones make operations like this safer for everyone. So it, it was unusual. I must say it was really great video quality and probably um, not much risk to the police the way they did that. What do you think, Captain? I think I think this guy saw this thing covered in his, in his liver and went, what fresh hell have I got myself into? <laughs> now, I'm hoping when he gets to prison and they tell the story and he tells the story and he goes, yeah, I surrendered to a drone that they just they just whip him right there. You surrendered to what? I'm sorry, what? Now, what if what if the drone had hit the guy? Would that, if this is San Francisco? Would there be a protest against the drone community, and the drone would get sent back to whatever China province it was made in? But here, but seriously, I think this is this is great. Um, robots, drones. You know, what what if he had destroyed that drone? What if what if it turns out he came out with a gun and shot the drone? At least you know now the guy's got a gun. And so what if you lost a couple thousand dollars worth of equipment, maybe? So I think this is spectacular. But it needs to have some messages like, you know, dead or alive, you're coming with me or something, something cool. Wait, I can't wait. We're not supposed to joke about that. that yeah. Hey, hey, Chief John, what do you think? I mean, would it have made any difference if the drone would have uh, had the words you know, remote controlled, rectal, body cavity searches? Would that have made a difference in this situation? Drove coming at you like with a big, you know, Pointer and saying, "You're prod." Yeah. You know, you think about it. We talked about you know some the drones making public safety announcements um, to protesters to COVID all over the world. You know, just go to Boston Dynamic and have a look at their robots. You have you have Spot, you have Atlas, you have Pick, and you have what's uh, the one the warehouse one at Lyft. I mean, I, and then later on tonight we might get a chance to talk about um, some artificial intelligence as it applies to uniforms. It's going to be funny to look back at this show five years from now. We're just kind of making fun of a drone where the where a guy gave up on, on a, as you know a suspect in a homicide. You're going, to see, you're going to see technology, specifically this type of technology, so far advanced in five years. This will be commonplace, in my opinion. 
Hey, you know, you know what's really funny, John, is I'm looking at the YouTube feed and I'm seeing guys and Eddie, I'm not going to say your last name, but they're talking about, I had my first colonoscopy a few weeks, you know, go, it's just hilarious that, uh, with these body cavity searches, what we've started, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, I was going to say, let's just talk about colonoscopies and that propofol nap. Can you count to 10 backwards? 10. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> No, but I think, look, I think technology's here to stay, and I think once folks realize it's for the good, you're always going to get pushback when it comes to, you know, whether or not you're invading people's privacies. Meanwhile, they have phones in their hands all day long taking pictures, right? Oh, I don't want anyone taking a picture of me, and folks, every every person you know has a phone in their hand. I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's actually going to help. You guys remember when we got the bomb robot, Dave? We thought that thing was the greatest thing in the world, man. You know, I, I mean... I just, it's going to be interesting to see where it's at in five years. But I thought it was very cool. You know, I, uh, you know, what we should do, we should, next time Cody comes to the town, we should, you know, like make a mold, have her, you know, put extend her finger, make a mold of her finger, and then we could attach it to a drone, give David the remote control for that thing, and we could use it in some of our Deadly Force Nero training videos. What do you think, Dave? You don't have to answer that, Dave. You should, just think about it. You should probably you should probably do that with Andrea instead of me because I got some big big paws. You know, I'm, I'd be the wrong person. You should have petite Andrea do that. It's amazing what what you girls say they get out of doing stuff. You know, crazy. All right. If there's no more comments, by, by uh, the David, way, Chip. By the way, Chip. You know, Chip. You know that nurse lost a bet. You know that nurse <laughs> that went digging for that. She lost. Oh, she yeah. was either the newest one. The newest one on the shift, or she flipped the coin and lost a bet. Or I, or <laughs> wow, you may be right. I, you know, I would just wish we had a picture. Will 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 get a picture of the bad guy and and incorporate that into the story. I'm I'm, I'm dying. Yeah, not yeah. From the from the neck up, Will. There. All right. All right. Moving along. Police1.com. Police departments face a flood of retirees. So it, it does talk about more on police one, of course, police departments across the country. They're bracing for a wave of retirements as officers that were hired during a billion dollar federal push to bolster agencies in the nineties. They're reaching their fifties and they are able to access pensions. Um, I mean, that's I'm trying to, I guess, I guess that's true. I mean, I came on in the early, early eighties and, uh, you know, I'm still in my 50s, but it says the replacements may be harder to find these days. Potential officers might be deterred by the higher risk of catching COVID-19 on the job. And I, I honestly don't know how many people worry about that. But uh, it also talks about the death of George George Floyd uh, in Minneapolis and that the changes in the profession that have come about, you know, because of that. So um, I don't think that any of us can argue with that. Any comments on this uh, this wave of, uh, of cops that are leaving agencies? And I, I see it more of the of the turn with the profession the things that we're having to deal with and uh you know the you know it's not going to be police work as usual i mean it's not really necessarily the body cams and everything because they do more to justify the cops i think that brett would back me up on that than it does to show that we're doing wrong we help sweet out some bad cops occasionally but it proves our innocence more than not it's just the uh industry you know not being backed up you know by the people you're working for and being thrown to the wolves um any comments on that article guys i thought it was uh I thought I didn't go into depth on it, but I thought it was a uh, I thought it was on the money. If there's no comments. Yeah, but, but, no, I have a comment. So here's the deal. When when we came on, I had no point of reference. I had um, 
misperception about what law enforcement was, right? Um, I thought really we got free donuts every day. But, you know, I, I had no point of reference. I had no point of reference except I wanted to be in law enforcement, right? So I remember we came on. I think we talked about this. You know, Dave can correct me a couple of three weeks ago. There were some crusty old people, and they would tell you how they did it back in the day. Now we're the crusty old people telling people how we did it back in the day. Folks that are coming into the occupation, first of all, it's the digital generation. You know, they were born with the cameras, so they're used to that kind of media. They, you know, they, you know, imagine being part of law enforcement during that constitutional era where wild things like Miranda were introduced, you know, or Matt versus Ohio and some of the, you know, constitutional restraints that we now think are standard. So I'm not sure for new hires coming on is going to be as big as a issue as for those folks that are halfway through their career. The ones that are halfway through their career came on with a sense of this is what we're going to do and what I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And then the script gets flipped and they're doing something else and they might not like it or they might not or they may like it. You never know. I think it's harder for that group stuck in the middle of their career rather than new hires coming on, you know, onboarding. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Chief. And uh, hey, Dave, we've got uh, what, two, two minutes and 15 seconds before I got to do the uh, start doing the commercial break thing. But uh, I, I, our next one's going to be Stephanie Moore. It's going to be a little bit long, uh, you know, case that we're going to be talking about. But uh, curious to hear your input on this one, Dave. I agree with what John was saying. The only difference is, is I, I believe that a lot of guys or, and girls that may be coming into the job now are coming into it with some sort of um, either misperception or, or some sort of an, a different type of idealism than what we had. And, and, and still possess the, the, the crusty guys that had that have a certain type of ideal about what the job is and, and how they do it. Um, <clears throat> I think there's I think the reality and we see it all the time when you have these activists that suddenly get put in these shoot no shoot situations in training and then they come out of it and go, holy crap, that's not what I thought it was. And now you have a, another this new generation that John talks about coming into a job that I don't care how much technology you have in the end. You're going to have to put your hands on somebody at some point in time, and you're going to have to put them in handcuffs. Now, unless they come up with some robot that you can go, oh, I, got a, I need an arrest over here on 58th Street, and they send the robot to do what you're supposed to do, okay. But until that day comes, you still have to go in, and in the end, you've got to put your hands on somebody, and, and some, some of those people are going to resist you. So all that idealism, all that young person stuff, all that, oh, we're going to change the world, BS is going to go right out the window and they're either going to change their tune or they're going to leave the profession. This crap that they're selling about how cops are supposed to be and the way the, the way it's all going to work. Um, in the end, it's all BS because in the end, it, it's a person to person relationship. You go into a situation, you're going to put somebody under arrest. You're going to deal with a bad, a bad guy or a bad situation because you don't get called to nice things. You only get called when people are having problems. And, and that's what cop work comes down to. I don't care how much they fluff it. I don't care how much technology they put into it. It's all going to come down to that in the end. All right. Good words. Thank you, Corporal. Hey, we're going to take another commercial break, but we'll be right back. I 
to take a moment and tell you all about our friends at Extra Duty Solutions. Throughout my career, I've seen firsthand what can happen if a law enforcement agency's extra duty program is not given the necessary attention and resources that it requires. Inefficiencies in detailing warning processes and payroll nightmares and even collection calls. They can derail your staff's production and morale as well as jeopardize your agency's reputation. With proper oversight, however, your agency's extra duty off-duty employment program, it can be profitable. Extra Duty Solutions, they administer these programs at no cost to your agency or municipality while taking on all the administrative burden and financial risks, such as bad debts, and they actually float the cost. And they float the invoices as well. So they utilize your agency's rules and processes and scheduling algorithms to avoid grievances, and they keep the program fair and transparent. So the officers that are most eligible to work the off-duty assignments are actually the guys to get first crack at them. And over the years, the past 12 months, They've paid out a whopping $50 million in extra duty work, and they've never been late, not even once. So at no cost to your agency or municipality, the service is truly a win-win for your agency, for the customers, and also for the citizens of your community that you represent. So I encourage you to visit their website today at extradutysolutions.com. They are a new and more efficient way to administer your extra duty, and they have arrived. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. Um, very good, very good uh, points, guys, and appreciate the content. You know, we've got a, another one that we're going to be talking about, and this one is on law enforcement today. And like I said, David, it's a little bit more in depth. Officer Stephanie Moore responded to a burglary call, and she ended up in prison. And the focus of the article is saying it's time to pardon her. Now, Prince George's County, and so we're in Maryland. Police officers, several politicians are called for are calling for a presidential pardon in the case of Stephanie Moore. That's M-O-H-R, who was a rookie officer with the Prince George's County Police. Now, Officer Moore was a brand new recruit. She had a brand new canine partner and she was practicing her um, police dog skills on a burglary call. There were two burglary suspects. They were spotted on a roof of a printing company and the Two undocumented immigrants, one was from Mexico and the other one was from El Salvador. They climbed down from the roof of the building. Now, Officer Moore gave the suspect's commands to drop to the ground, and one of them refused to do so. So he also made a sudden and aggressive movement. So on instructions from her canine training officer, Stephanie Moore released her dog. It ended up biting the suspect in the arm. It prevented his escape. The illegal immigrant's injuries were minor. He got 10 stitches, and no complaint was ever lodged. Now, here's where things get strange, and unfortunately for Officer Moore, it impacted her career. So the unit's dogs were trained to bite, but under revised rules, the department now trains them merely to bark at suspects. This is crazy, David, to only bark at suspects, holding them at bay until police arrive. And it also says that uh, um, in the five years that followed the 1995 burglary incident, Stephanie Moore blossomed as a police officer and as a canine handler. Just to kind of give you um, a reference to that, she was already the first canine handler in Prince George's County history, but her and her canine partner were the first in the county to undergo eight weeks of intense training to become certified in bomb technician, uh, or I'm sorry, in bomb detection. She rapidly advanced from the rank of, um, to the rank of corporal, earned two awards for meritorious service, 25 letters of accommodation. Um, her superiors lauded her assistance for she uh, would bring down burglary and homicide suspects. She went to um, canine partner programs at schools and county fairs and did personal security for President Clinton's uh, second inaugural gala. gala. So she's just been pretty busy and everybody seemed very happy with her. So 
eventually there were a series of articles in the Washington Post that alleged police brutality at the Prince George's County Police Department, and she became a scapegoat. Now, her career and her life kind of crashed down around her. The FBI launched an intensive uh, investigation into the department and in the canine unit. And on the day before the statute of limitations was set to expire, we've heard that before uh, today, Stephanie Moore and her training officer were both indicted for federal civil rights violations and conspiracy. And at taxpayer expense, the two burglars were brought back for, uh, for trial. One was in federal prison, but the other one was still in El Salvador. So they brought them both back. And after the first jury trial, they acquitted her of the conspiracy charge and they deadlocked 11 to 1 for acquittal for the civil rights charge. The government decided to go for it again. So the court um, admitted highly prejudicial prejudicial testimony during the five years since the incident. Handful of citizens filed suits against the department for bikes by Stephanie's dog. Capitol Heights woman even permitted was permitted to testify that Stephanie Moore had threatened to release her dog on her, quote, black ass, unquote. Allegations of subsequent dog bites hit their mark with at least one juror, and the juror told the Washington Post that, quote, she had to be stopped if we had let her go and she hurt someone else, I know I would have felt guilty, unquote. So, Stephanie Moore was 29 years old, a single mother with a son under three at the time. She is now a former officer, sentenced to 10 years in prison, and uh, one for each, one year for each of the stitches that was sewn into the illegal immigrant's arm. And, uh, you know, of course, he was arrested for burglary, refused to comply. So she did not become bitter. It says that when she got released, she acquired a job as a county building inspector, reestablished a relationship with her now 19-year-old son, and that's kind of the way this story ends. Um, anyhow, uh, Ward, I, I know that your mic was open earlier. Love to get your input on this, and uh, and anyone else who wants to comment on it. This is an incredibly misleading article. I read the opinion. The author only refers to the so-called facts as presented by the defendant herself. There were four police witnesses who testified that what really happened is is that. The two men on the roof were ordered down, they came down, they raised their hands, they never lowered their hands, they complied with all the commands. They were surrounded in a semicircle by armed police officers. At one point, Moore's partner or, or fellow dog uh, trainer went over to the sergeant and said, can we let the dog have a bite? He then, went, the sergeant said yes, he ultimately pled guilty to that criminal offense. He, he went back and whispered something into Moore's ear, and she then let the dog go and bit the person. So the facts as elicited by the government are totally contrary to what this article says with this misleading title. Officer Moore responded to a burglary call, ended up in prison. Then he complains about taxpayer expense uh, being used to bring in witnesses. I was a prosecutor. I used taxpayer money to bring in witnesses all the time. There's nothing remotely unusual about that. The, the thing that does trouble me, however, is that there was an 11 to 1 uh, vote for acquittal in the first trial. The main difference between the first and second trial were two instances of subsequent misconduct were admitted. The government actually tried to admit six instances of misconduct. I think the one that probably uh, did the most damage is when she was with her dog guarding a house where a search was being conducted for a fugitive. Uh, she commented, and she didn't really dispute this, she commented to the uh, fugitive's uh, uh, sister that if they find the fugitive in the house, she was going to let the dog bite her black ass and 
and uh, the fugitives. Um, um, this is an example of what I've been complaining about for so long of stupid comments by cops. <laughs> this is the ultimate stupid comment and may have cost her 10 years in prison because of it. Wow. But in, in any event, I'm not saying she doesn't deserve a pardon. I mean, I find the case troubling. I don't know if I would have admitted this evidence. It was clearly not an abuse of discretion in my mind for the judge to do it. I'm not so sure I would do it. It, it, it was very prejudicial. But as a prosecutor, every piece of evidence I used was prejudicial, and I wanted it to be prejudicial. The test is whether it's unfairly prejudicial. Uh, the court ruled, and, and I, I can't dispute it. I don't know if I would have ruled the same way, that, that this evidence was necessary to show intent. Well, thanks, Ward. That's, uh, I, I wish, you know... It Anyhow, I wish the article would have been written better then and more forthcoming with the information. So thanks for sharing. Hey, uh, Ron, I know that you had your mic open. We're going to take a commercial break and we'll get to you in just a second, Ron, and we'll be right back. No matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there is that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. GunLearn.com, they've actually taken the confusion out of learning and made it easy. GunLearn.com is the first and only company to offer a step-by-step -step program that takes you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, accurate, and competent certified firearm specialist. Now, they provide citations from federal law, ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy, and their trainings approved by major forensic organizations, law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that Leos need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. So start today with online training or register to attend a live seminar. You can actually get free training for yourself and the personnel of your agency by hosting a seminar at no cost to your agency. So come aboard as one of the most firearm-knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at GunLearn.com. Welcome back to Leo Roundtable, Ron. Did you have any uh, any comments on that? And and I kind of hate you know I know this is on law enforcement today. I don't know who wrote the article, Ward. I'm I'm glad that you spent the time to research it and get the. Uh, get the facts on the case because i certainly we don't want to represent or mislead anyone on the show and although people say hey you know you're true blue you're always going to back the blue in this case is obviously wrong because ward told it like it is there's he uncovered stuff that wasn't released in the article that's not favorable for the police officer and so the title of the article is really calling for a pardon and ward now has made that a big question mark in our minds if uh, if you know since all this other stuff has happened it's not as the article portrayed it to be. So, uh, Major Ron, you're up. Yeah, I was going to say just that. I appreciate Ward giving us the Reader's Digest because I would have thought that she, you know, took the hot poker myself. Um, but I, I appreciate Ward pointing that out. And at the same time, like we always talk about facts matter. It doesn't matter which way the cookie crumbles, but that was just wrong. If, if, you know, if, if, that, if that case, the case summary is anything close to, uh, you know, correct, it was just wrong. And, um, you know, people give up, they give up, you know, but to say, hey, can we get a bite? And did you have time to do all that? That's craziness. And that's what gets us into trouble between that and our big mouths. You know, everyone always has to have a comment. You know, what's funny in the locker room or funny at roll call is not funny in the public all the time. You know, um, they don't have our same humor. They don't understand you're joking you know, to, to break the stress 
um, you know, the average person don't get that. But anyway, Ward, I just want to say hats off to you, even though you went to Harvard. <laughs> Comments, Ward? One, one, of the, one of the things that was troubling about this is that the real bad guy, the bad guy who asked the sergeant if the dog could take a, a, a bite, he was acquitted of both the conspiracy and the substance of charges. So he got off scot-free. And um, but but this woman who was probably doing what he wanted, uh, we, we don't know. I mean, she says the conversation between him and the real bad guy never took place. Uh, he didn't testify. Uh, the circumstantial evidence is pretty damning. But but it is troubling to me that he got off and she didn't. Oh. All right. Well, thank you, Ward. All right, guys. Uh, excellent content. Um, you know, this next video now, it's been in, in, in Will, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that Will is, producer Will is going to be able to find it. And this was actually sent to me by Cody a, a while back. We haven't had time to cover it yet. And so it is the McMuffin cop is speaking out about her viral video. So Stacy Talbert hit back at critics who said that she was too emotional to have a weapon and police her community. Um, you guys might remember this video when it came out, and we've never officially commented on it. So the article kind of starts off by saying, and this is a follow-up article, it says, in the day since Talbert went viral for a video of herself crying after a messed up McDonald's order prompted her to fear her food was being tampered with, the Georgia Sheriff's deputy um, has enjoyed reading um, the criticisms, you know, online about her. Now, this is, you know, it, it's on BuzzFeed News, and it's also on YouTube as well. And so she did a, a phone interview with BuzzFeed News, though. It says that she's worked in law enforcement for 15 years, uh, but as a deputy in uh, McIntosh County near um, Savannah for just four months. And she felt that as her video went viral, it lost the real message that she was trying to convey that she um, that she felt in, in that moment, at least anyhow. Now, Talbert has been finishing her overnight shift when she pulled into the local McDonald's. And it was on a Monday morning. She placed her order online. She told my employees that she needed to pull her car uh, aside and wait for her order. And she said that she became increasingly suspicious at that time. And she said, quote, I'm not going to accuse anyone, but it was sketchy, unquote. So when one employee brought her coffee that she had ordered, but not the food, she said she told the worker not to bother because she'd become too nervous to eat it. And, and as she's telling the story in the original video, she's kind of tearing up and kind of, you know, starting to lose it a little bit. When one employee, um, well, you know, I, she, she was too nervous to eat it. Talbert told BuzzFeed News that she couldn't say definitively whether the staff was actually tampering with her food, but what mattered to her was the fear that she felt. And it says that her video went viral a day after two North police all, uh, unions falsely accused staff at a uh, Shake Shack restaurant of poisoning officers, but detectives later found there was no criminal behavior in that incident. And if, uh, it says that, another quote saying that, I was hired by my sheriff's office to do a job. Uh, they knew when they hired me that I was stable enough to do the job without an issue, and I've been doing the job for 15 years. Others said that she was too emotional, but Talbert and sister emotions benefit her on the beat. Quote, I was exactly how every single officer feels, and if they don't feel compassion or emotion, if they don't cry over anything, I promise you that is not the officer that you want on the street. David, I, I hope you're – David D. Gress, I hope you're paying attention to this because you don't belong on the street, buddy. Um, anyhow, uh, I believe that the restaurant uh, did a full investigation as best they could, and they didn't have any – did not have any indication that anything was being tampered with. At least I remember reading that. So, anyhow, so that said – um, any David, I see the smirk on your face. Is there any comments or anything uh, on the uh, on the video? Um, 
from anybody. And Cody, I know you sent it to me. I'm kind of curious what you think about the video. I think that, uh, you know, she was showing, I think she was showing a real side of herself. You know, uh, there was a, there's a lot of strife that's been coming down the pike for law enforcement. Uh, I think many people out working the streets, even those of us still doing private armed security, you know, we have a vulnerability now. We, you know, there's officers needlessly getting assaulted for no reason. There's, you know, uh, there are people getting their food tampered with or their drinks, you know, their coffees. Um, I, I think it's a legitimate fear that she had. And I think that she was just sharing a real raw moment. I don't think that means she's an emotional basket case that can't go out there and function and do her job on the street. I think it was just a moment of vulnerability and she was being real and showing, you know, those who were going to watch, which it turned out to be millions, uh, what, what she was enduring at that moment. Um, and I think that it makes, you know, it makes people be in touch with her. It makes people understand what it's like to to have some vulnerability and still have, you're still a human. You're a police officer. Yeah, but you're a human. Yeah, we have a job to do. You have to be emotionally capable, physically capable, mentally capable, but that doesn't mean you can't be in touch with your emotions. And unfortunately, we work in a job where it's frowned upon to be emotional. The reality is, is if people had an outlet to get out their emotions, they probably do better on the job. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean you can't be a warrior and you can't go out and kick butt and take, take numbers just because you cry over something. It's part of, you know, the innate human nature. So we got three and a half minutes and we are on policeone.com. State your case. Should the public have a say in selecting a police chief? Now, for people watching our show, remember that, you know, sheriffs are elected officials, you know, pretty much everywhere. Now, police chiefs are usually appointed, you know, by the mayor or another, uh, maybe city manager. Uh, but, you know, there is a difference between police chiefs and sheriffs. And the issue in this article, it's, it's titled Promoting Police Chiefs from Inside a Police Department with Little External Input, they say is causing concern in some communities with the public asking not only for more insight into the process, but also a, a say regarding candidates that are even under consideration for the job. It says that two cities in San Diego County, so we're in California, David, they're currently changing their hiring process as a result of such concerns. So La Mesa has hired a company to conduct a nationwide search for its next police chief in Oceanside, recently surveyed community members to decide how that they were going to, going to proceed in hiring. And now just for curiosity's sake, Brett, they asked Police One readers if community members actually should be involved in picking a police chief. And 67%, the majority, said no. And in and, and this argument going back and forth between uh, Jim Dudley and Joe Schultz, um, it said that one of the points was the public knows very little about policing. And so kind of giving them the right to weigh in on that when they don't really know that much about the job may not necessarily be productive. So Captain Barlett, the floor is yours. We have uh, about a minute and 45 seconds. Well, it's all a bunch of political crap. You know, the public right now in every jurisdiction has a say in picking that chief. And it's called the Republican form of government. When they elect a mayor or, or the head of a, of, of, a, of a community, they have a say. And if they don't like what happens, then two or three or four years later, vote that person out. They'll have a say. So where does this end? If you get input on the chief, and that works out. Do you now get input on the assistant chiefs and then the majors and the captains? And then do you get input on all promotions? Next thing you know, it's just a cluster you-know-what. So, to, and, But again, if, if that's your platform, if social change is your platform, this is your baby because it causes more upheaval. But I would tell them, look, right now, I would ask them, how many people vote? How many voted in the last mayor election or the last 
election with this. And, and you know, of course, they're going to lie about it and they're going to say they all did. But the reality is they probably didn't. So the truth is we all have to say right now. Uh, Attorney Attorney Ward, you've got around uh, 15 seconds, Ward. Or maybe make that 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, the nail on the head. Brad hit the nail on the head. This is a republic. The public does have a say by electing their officials. I have a bit of a problem with the election of judges myself for the same reason. People just don't know very much about it. I, I think I prefer to have experts uh, decide who the who the best, the most highly qualified uh, police chiefs are. All right. Thank you, Ward. Guys, we have another commercial break. I think it'll be our last one. So we will be right back. The Viridian fact-duty weapon-mounted camera was I was actually born the idea by the company owner and the employees when they were watching his communities around the country were literally being torn apart and burned down over the lack of evidence in multiple officer-involved shootings. They used existing patented technologies and innovative design to create the fact-duty, that's the F-A-C-T duty, and it's become the only gun camera in wide use by law enforcement across the nation. Now, the gun camera fits standard police-duty weapons and holsters and records automatically when the officer's gun is pulled from the holster, provides an unobstructed view of critical use of force events from the end of the firearm, which overcomes the inherent issues with body cams. And body and dash cameras were not designed to capture officer-involved shootings. However, the Viridian gun cameras were designed specifically for that purpose. So the fact duty employs a 1080p full high-definition camera with a microphone that has a 500 lumen tactical light. And the proprietary instant-on technology means that the fact duty generates just a small fraction of the data to manage compared to other law enforcement recording options because it only records when the officer's weapon is actually drawn. This results in significantly lower comparative data management costs than other evidentiary camera systems. So data is stored securely and is easily transferred per agency protocol with existing software technology. You get more information on the fact duty, and it's available at gun-camera.com. Welcome back to Leo Roundtable. If there's no more comments, guys, on the last one, then we will jump to the next. And now we're on policeone.com and Chicago Police Superintendent in rare disagreement with the oversight agency on two discipline cases. And again, we're talking about these oversight boards and we're in Chicago, but members of the city's police disciplinary panel, they overruled Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown in two 2018 officer-involved shooting cases. And these instances were where police the boss, the superintendent, called for more lenient punishments for three cops who investigators said should be fired. So the decisions by two Chicago Police Board members came after Brown disagreed with their findings from the Civilian Office of Police Accountability that the officers who fired their guns in each case should be dismissed from the police department. And records show that the first two times Brown has disagreed with COPA, is the short name for the uh, for the board, um, that this is the first time that he's disagreed with them in disciplinary matters. So the board members are Matthew Crowell and Steve Flores, and this was all announced during last month's regularly scheduled monthly meeting. And of course, because of COVID, it's all over the TV as well. So, you know, it just kind of touches on, you know, 
the issues that we can have with police accountability boards. And remember, if you're right up in Oakland, California, these are they're you know getting you know convicted felons on the boards. And the three officers in question are David Taylor, Larry Lanier, and Lugie uh, Sarley. And now they're on paid desk duty, and they've been relieved of their police powers. And the decision's not finalized yet. Uh, but there is a lot of hoopla going on, and now they've got to jump through a bunch of hoops to see what's going to actually happen with the officers. And the officers, like Brett said earlier, um, you know, this happened what back in 2018. The officers are suffering as a result. Any comments on police accountability boards or these civilian review boards that have the kind of power where they can kind of weigh in on officer um, discipline and use of force, uh, Chief Newman and, uh, and Ward? It's going to get more interesting the fact that they neither one, the chief or the representative from that board could not agree, it now goes down to an entire panel discussion. So there is a, I don't want to say a fail safe, but there, if there's a concurrence with the chief and there, I, I don't, well, I, I'm not sure if it's the chairman of that oversight committee, if they concur on the discipline, then it doesn't go to the, um, the, the, the nine or 11 person panel for follow-up, they concur and that's it. So when the two of them don't agree, then it becomes subject to, you know, um, all nine or 11 panelists to make the decision. So there's gonna be, there should be a good follow-up discussion to this story because I'd be interested to know what the makeup of that nine or 11 panel is and what evidence or details they're gonna be privy to to, 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 uh, to render a decision. And then is it a super majority or, or an up and down vote for, you know, for, you know, seeing what the officers get. So it'll be more, it'll be actually interesting at the next level when all the entire panel gets to weigh in. Yeah, they, from what I remember reading, uh, Chief, they randomly pull two names off the panel uh, to review it. And you're right, if they don't agree with the chief, it goes, I think there's a nine-member panel that it goes in front of everybody. But I think they're just two random uh, panel members that, you know, they run it by first. So um, we've, and, and Attorney Ward uh, put his mic back off, but we have Major Ron next in line. Yeah, so I was going to ask. So so let's say that she, the, the nine panel decides that uh, it's too lenient. So if they say he's fired, is he fired? So if that's the case, why do you have the superintendent there in the first place? Why don't you just have the panel running the police department? You know, now all these uh, complaint review boards want uh, subpoena power and they want to be in the internal affairs investigation. And it's like, you know, when's enough enough? You know, what does that lead to? Who's running the department? Who do you want to run your department? Haven't you seen that social experiment called Seattle yet? You know, come on, folks. You know, we're going to have to, you know, at some point you're going to have to realize like like uh, Ward said earlier, and I think the chief did it too. It's a republic. This is a republic. The United States of America is a republic, and that's how we run it. But everyone can't have everyone can't have sit there and decide. Oh, that's good. That's bad. That's good. That's bad. You put people there that you trust. You vote people in that you can depend on to take care of you to keep you safe. You know, while you're snug in your bed at night, we're running around the streets buying dope and selling dope and chasing you know killers, people that will really pull the trigger. And then you guys are going to start with this mess, you know, mealy mouth stuff. That's one of the, the I respect that man so much, uh, Chief Brown or Superintendent Brown. I don't know if you guys remember him. He's a guy from Texas. And five of his guys got murdered the same day. You know, I really respect that man. It just drives me crazy when I see someone who probably doesn't know, you know, a, football, a, a policeman from Adam Housecat. And, and they're questioning him and his, his abilities, his skills, his experience, because they want to look tough to the public. Nah, boo, bye, garbage. 
Thanks, Major. Cody Ann Cook. You would think in a circumstance like this where they have a division uh, with multiple positions of authority to decide what the outcome is, that they bring up, uh, you know, an independent investigator to make a determination um, on the outcome of the case and really look into, you know, like the attorney general or, you know, somebody from the prosecutor's office or something independent um, to review because you can't constantly have this conflict going on for years between the police board and, you know, a supervisor and a police chief and whatever else is coming into play. It's just, it's ridiculous. You know, but, you know, Cody, you bring up a good point. I think that's what probably burns us the most. And it does get reviewed, reviewed by a state attorney if it's a shooting. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the oversight committee and the chief don't make this decision in a vacuum. I've always said it. We're overregulated. We, you know, in, in this state, we get reviewed by CGSTC. We get reviewed by the state attorney. If it's something where we have a conflict of interest, we bring in FDLE. You know, but now they want to have you know, none of those. None of those entities are smart enough. We got to give it to a civilian oversight. These are experts in the field that have no no skin in the game. They have they're no axe to grind. They're going to be a neutral third party that gives you a hopefully a unbiased decision. So this is all to what Ron said is pandering. They just want to yes. feel like they have a say or a voice. It's ridiculous. Good point. Producer Will, I think you've got something that you want to share with us. Yeah, we got two donations from Eddie Leal and MVS. Wow, thank you, guys. I know we were talking about Eddie Leal earlier. At MVS, I didn't see his name um, on people conversing through YouTube. So uh, thanks for uh, for watching the show, MVS. And thank you to both you guys for uh, contributing to support us and what we do. We appreciate it. So, uh, Major Ron, Jim, we've got roughly three months left. Okay, can you have all these people write their checks to Shay Ronnie? That's spelled C H E Z. Shay Ronnie. <laughs> Thank you. Shay Ronnie. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, all excellent input, guys. Hey, we got a couple minutes left. Um, I, I do want to talk about, you know, a, a couple things. Uh, number one, uh, we are now on Roku. And uh, we've been on Roku for a, a few weeks now, but now it's publicly available. So you guys should be able to find us. So if, uh, you know, Roku is a streaming service, it's a cable alternative. And, you know, there's also the Fire Stick. So we're, we're hopefully going to be going on the Fire Stick next. But Roku is right now. So no matter where you're at, and man, I was just reading, I got a, a, a notice earlier the day on all the countries that were in a Roku. And it's just including Colombia and stuff. I mean, it's just, we're just you know, all over the world on Roku. So if you guys want to uh, find us, it's Cutting Edge TV. It's the name of the channel. So go to the added channel on your Roku option and find Cutting Edge TV. And we'll have Will put this in the show notes. I've actually got it in the show notes for the live show. I put it in there already, Will. But it's uh, QLM, so that's Queen Lincoln Michael 5 John Victor 5. So that code will get you into the... Uh, you know, we'll pull up the channel and you guys can add it to your Roku list. So, and you guys can watch our shows. You can watch us on demand and you've got, it's backloaded with the shows from a few weeks back as well. So it should be a great way to watch a show. Now we just did our deadly force scenario training videos. We met on Saturday and uh, we've got some scenarios that we're going to be putting together. I know that um, John and Brett and uh, some other people have been sending me videos. So I need to put that all together and uh, get with Brett and produce some more of these and start, you know, releasing these. So, um, you know, we'll figure out the best way to do that. We've also got a presence um, on um, on Rumble and on Parlor. And guys, we need you guys to not leave YouTube 
and Facebook and Twitter, but to go to those platforms and make sure that you um, find our page, you know, like our content and subscribe to us as well. Rumble's a great alternative to YouTube. We are starting to get some videos banned. We're getting thumbnails, you know, that are being uh, banned as well. We're getting complaints on some of our stuff. This stuff, as far as I'm concerned, is unfounded, uh, but Donut Operator, a lot of the other guys are experiencing the same stuff, so we want to have a platform as a backup or maybe just eventually leave YouTube and go to Rumble because we're not going to get slammed or challenged on Rumble like we have been on YouTube. We're not going to have our videos you know, taken down and our thumbnails taken down either. And also on Parler, it's like a, a Twitter option, but a lot of people are actually leaving Facebook for Parler as well, another great platform. So please go to Parler, Rumble, look up Leo Roundtable, and make sure you start, you know, watching our presence, you know, on those platforms as well. And, uh, you know, a pretty uh, a pretty good show tonight, guys. So um, I'm going to start going and doing the, uh, the sign-up, but thank you to our panel for being here. Thank you for our live YouTube audience as well. Thank you to Column Case Management, Guardian Alliance Technologies, uh, Extra Duty Solutions, GunLearn.com, and Verdian Weapon Technologies. We appreciate having you as sponsors. Also, Boss Hog Radio Network and the Cutting Edge Radio Network and Cutting Edge TV. Thank you. We're powered by Pexip. Hope everybody has a wonderful and a safe week.